This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. No one is covering the issues and 2016 election quite like the great news show Full Frontal with Samantha B. The show's executive producer and a former producer on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, Miles Kahn, here on Pop Culture Confidential. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling Biro. Okay, so Jon Stewart abandoned us before what may be the most absurd election to date. But then something magical happened full frontal with Samantha B. Hands down the best coverage of this election and rundown of the issues. Samantha B., a 12-year veteran correspondent on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, got her own show this spring. A somewhat historical occasion due to the fact that she's one of the select few women in late night. The show airs once a week on TBS and on their site and YouTube for viewers starving for her smart, brave, and super funny coverage. Samantha B's team of exec producers are Emmy-winning writer-producer Joe Miller, B's husband and fellow Daily Show alum Jason Jones, and Miles Kahn. Kahn was a senior producer at The Daily Show with Jon Stewart for nearly 10 years, and I would venture to say that he totally perfected the art of the field piece. The field piece being the reports and interviews by the correspondents outside of the studio. They've been a centerpiece of both The Daily Show and Full Frontal. Miles Kahn produced some of the most legendary pieces with Daily Show correspondents such as John Oliver, Jason Jones, Wyatt Cenac, and of course Samantha Bee. He is exec producing Full Frontal as well as head of the field pieces there. Like this one. My name is Dan Flynn. I was one of the uh, joint authors of HB2. Oh, this uterus expert. The issue for this bill mm-hmm. was to be sure that we provided health care, safe health care for women. How does removing access to health care increase health care? We're not removing access to health care. We're improving. So the intention of the law was not to do away with abortions. No. It was just to make them impossible. Why are you no better than that? Do what do you mean I? impossible? I'm telling you what, anytime you start cutting on people's body, you need to have it in a procedure where it can be healthy. Of course. You don't yeah. cut a woman in an abortion, though. To be fair, we grew up in ancient Westeros, where they did abortions the old-fashioned way. I'm not a doctor. I don't know, but I, I've listened to many doctors tell me about the procedures that happen when you do an invasive surgery. You don't seem to know anything specifically about abortion, really, at all. And yet, you did all this with building regulations. What? Mr. Miles Kahn, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. So this week's show was just another knockout. Um, You've been in this for so many decades now. Do people's convictions and viewpoints out there, do they shock you anymore? Oh, not at all. No, no. If anything, it surprises me that people, I guess, uh, still want to talk to us. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, no, there's there's very little that surprises me at this point. If anything, we we now prefer we don't want to just we don't want to talk to people who are so far on the fringe that they have no power. We we really much prefer to talk to people 
who have some sort of stake in the game. We don't want to just talk to, to whack jobs, to, to nutcases, to just, you know, racists. We want to talk to congressional racists and state <laughs> racists and people who actually are, you know, we want to punch up a little bit. People that have a little bit of skin in the game. That's much more interesting to us uh, than people who are just out and out crazy. We still get those people and we'll still talk to some of those people, but... Yeah, we, we really like to talk to people who have something to say and who have a little bit of power. Right, because a lot of those crazy people are in power now. <laughs> but if you were to explain where we are in the U.S. election right now, early summer 2016, to, to like an alien, say, what, what, would, you, what would you say? Where are we? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, can, would you want to role play and be the alien for me? Because I don't. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Who Who is this? Who is this Trump guy with the hair? Oh, okay. Uh, Trump is. Uh, he's an entertainer who decided to be a politician, and he says some really crazy things, and some people really like it, and some people really don't. And uh, he has no experience in politics, and he'll probably be the next president. You think so? He's, he's got a good chance, sure. <laughs> and what about these two who seemingly are from the same side who keep fighting all the time? Yeah, no, they should really probably get along a little bit better. I'm not really sure why there's so much fighting. But, uh, yeah, I guess they both really, really want the same thing. I think. I think the problem is... If you're running for president, you really, really want to be the president. And all three of these people are all kind of fighting their egos and fighting themselves. And, and you have to have this, this really strange desire that a, a minor fraction of people in the world have to, to want yeah. to go through this mill. And they're gluttons for punishment. And they've been through so much that now they can't lose. They, don't, they refuse to lose. They refuse to give up the game. Tell you what, and Hillary... She has done this now, you know, a couple of times, and she really refuses to lose. Right. Well, you're wonder. I'm wondering, sort of, if if Trump, if if Trump really wants to be president, or if he just wants to win. That's a good. That's that's the best question. Really, is is, is he, does he had he ever really wanted to be president? One of his former staff members did this little tell all a couple of months ago. It wasn't that widely reported. But she said that his only goal ever really was to come in second. He just wanted to come in second and kind of revive his brand a little bit and get popular again and, you know, whatever, maybe be asked for policy decisions and, you know, just kind of be him. It was like a big ad for him. And I think now that he is the guy, there's this conspiracy theory that he's trying to throw it. You know, he he's just keeps trying different ways to throw it. I don't think he's trying to throw it. I think he's bought into the hype that, hey, maybe I can do this. And, hey, what I don't know, I'll just hire a bunch of people and they'll tell me what to do. And I'll take credit for it if it's good and I'll throw them under the bus if it's bad. And it's way too scary for that at this point. But we're going to get back to comedy in the age of Trump. I want to ask you, what is an MKP? What is an MKP? Mm-hmm. Where'd you get that phrase? <laughs> I got that from my research. Wow. Um, when I was at, uh, you do research. I do. I just can't believe you did that, that I'm worthy of research. Uh, <laughs> it was an inside joke at the daily show. When I showed up at the daily show, uh, at the end of 2006, um, they were still shooting on what I'd call a local news model mm-hmm. where it was one camera, one camera and very limited resources. And they'd shoot these interviews that were, 
that were really designed to be shot with two cameras, but they were they were they were budgetarily strapped a little bit, and they'd just been doing it that way for so long, even though the scope of the pieces had sort of grown. So I came in there a little cocky, perhaps, and kind of forced the issue to bring us two cameras, and then forced the issue to try different formats. And I was the guy that came in from the film school background who wanted to spend all of their money, basically. So eventually, whenever I plan to shoot, the production team at the Daily Show said it's a Miles Con production, MKP. Right. It was big and unwieldy and and expensive. So I, I shot an action film, and I would rent cranes and steady cams, and I would need special lights and special cameras. And they loved me and they hated me because I, I I definitely like to bust the budget a little bit. Yeah, because for us sort of TV nerds that that followed. The Daily Show for all those years, we see your name. You really are the the auteur of the field piece um, from then, and, and still with with Sam B. and 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 made all these huge changes. Tell me some of your favorites that you made. I disagree with you, but I like that you said that. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna let you say that. I think there are a lot of people who are who who came up with me, who really kept reinventing the game before me and after me, and I, I'm I'm very proud to have like put my stamp on the show. Uh, but there were so many really interesting people that came from different backgrounds, and they all kind of put something different, their DNA, into the show. And I'm so I'm tickled and proud that my DNA is still somewhere in there, and that's kind of fun. Yeah, you're being humble now because you've made a few classics. <laughs> Tell me about a few of those. I am pretty awesome. Don't get me wrong. Right. I just uh, there's a lot of really awesome people who work there. Uh, the, the action film I just mentioned um, was a lot of fun. I did a piece of Jason Jones, Samantha Bee's husband. Um, <clears throat> where we talked to a guy who was uh, arrested under the Espionage Act or charged under the Espionage Act when really he was just a paper pusher trying to be a whistleblower. And so we, we, we kept envisioning him as some sort of spy, and so we created these reenactments with Jason as the, as the, the, the crazy spy and fighting people and shooting guns. And so what did you do about it? I brought Thin Thread to, to my reporting official. He said, you don't want to ask any more questions, Mr. Drake. Leave it alone. Holy shit. That meeting would make an awesome fucking movie. TDS Studios presents The Whistleblower. It's my way or the die way. I choose die way. Stay trapped, motherfucker! There were no guns. What do you mean, no guns? No guns. This doesn't sound very spy-like. So it was just, it was me getting to play with uh, a real cinematographer and, and, and giant film equipment and stuntmen and effects. And so that one was just fun to shoot and looks a lot of fun. And I early on, I did so many pieces with Samantha B. And my favorite one that I did with her, the early ones was, it was called uh, Are You Prepared? And it came from John. <clears throat> John had the idea of just the idea that the, the news always does these scare pieces. You know, like mosquitoes, are they, are they going to be killing you? Well, that, that was actually real. But uh, <laughs> back when we started, that, that wasn't the case. Uh, but just, like, just new, like new scare stories about ridiculous shit. And he said, why don't we just do a news scare story about nothing? We never say what it is to be scared with. That was the game. And it was such a fun game to just go. So he wanted to, he, he, he had this idea and I, I broke it out and I said, why don't we do it kind of run and gun style? 
all kind of handheld and bust into people's houses. And, and we just wrote a series of gags and we visited three random houses in New Jersey and played with people there. And it's really goofy and funny. And It's great. I was just rewatching it, actually. It still feels really relevant today with the fear mongering still going on. And, 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 it, and the thing about you and, and Samantha when you do your things together is that the level of commitment <laughs> is just amazing. Oh, absolutely. She is, she is such a dedicated performer. And a little bit about those field pieces when you go meet real sort of representatives and politicians and stuff. Um, how much do they know? I mean, it, it's not, is it not an ambush? It's sometimes their answers just seem absolutely nuts to be on television. <laughs> it's really, it's never an ambush. We never, we never misre- misrepresent ourselves at The Daily Show. We never do here at Full Frontal. Um, you know, we give people the opportunity to know the show. Oftentimes people will ask for pieces they want to, if they haven't heard of the show they will either watch themselves or they'll ask us for an example of a sort of piece certainly we'd love to show them a piece that's not that's not going to turn them off but they can do their own research and they can figure out who we are we never lie we never tell them what we and we never take them out of context that's the other misnomer i think people sometimes well they just cut them to say that thing that's stupid and no we do what any news magazine would do where we condense things for time, but we can't make somebody say no when they say yes. So you know, we're, we we try to operate as journalistically as possible, despite not being actual journalists. And why do you think that they are so sort of unaware of themselves that they will say many of the things that they have during many of your pieces? I think it's a testament to how good someone like Samantha is in the chair. Like they're because maybe it's because we're we have a bit of a our viewpoint is maybe a little more apparent than like the mainstream media where the mainstream media tries to do this objective dance at times. We don't have to do that dance as much. Our, our pieces are less pure objective journalism in that sense than they are. We're doing opinion pieces. We have a point of view in the piece and it's usually pretty apparent. Uh, because of that, we, we ask them challenging questions. We want, we want them to fight the good fight. We want them to argue with us. We want them to be engaged and when you get engaged and when you're passionate about your thing, you say what you really think. So when right. Sam and I interviewed a – he was a Christian uh, apologist and we were interviewing him about his, his feeling that, that straight people had been had – been, they, were, they were being discriminated against or they were being bashed upon. And um, you know, we shot with him for probably a couple of hours and we finally got him to say things that, that he, I think he really believed about gay people. And he complained later on a blog, on his own blog, that, that oh, they shot for two hours and this is what they use. And it's like, well, that's what anybody does. Like, if you talk right. for two hours about, if you're a racist and talk for two hours about how, how, how great black people are, and then if, if for two minutes you talk about how they're a bunch of thieves, that's what, that's what the news is going to pick up. They're going to pick up your real feelings. So we, don't, we do the same thing that anyone would do in that situation where we're going to talk to you and we feel like this is a representation of what you believe, we're going to put it on the air. Because you just did an amazing one here on Full Frontal with the Texas State Representative Dan Flynn about the sort of abortion clinics and how he had and just the level of his how he answered i mean it would and, and samantha's just great in that piece and that conversation is just classic <laughs> uh yeah i know she's fantastic and you know i think he a lot of people who watched it who are in that situation like dan 
I think he probably feels like he got his point across. And oftentimes we'll hear back from people who we think, oh, we really got him or, or like, I can't believe they revealed this thing that they really believe. And then we'll hear back from them and they'll be really happy with how the piece came out. Mm. And it's not just conservatives. I've certainly taken plenty of swipes at liberals or liberal causes. And those people will put the piece on their website and they'll say, this is great. I, I did a piece about the, the, a bunch of atheists from the Freedom From Religion Foundation um, taking a bit of a hit at them. And they loved the piece. They loved, they loved being made fun of because it gave them press. People, they, your original question was, why do people come do this show? Mm-hmm. They like mm-hmm. to be on, they want to be on TV. So more often than blowing up in your face when, when someone sort of embarrasses themselves, as one would maybe think occasionally as a viewer, they actually like it. I've had several occasions where I can't believe the person writes back to me and they say, thanks so much for doing it. Next time you need someone, let me know. And I'm like, man, <laughs> you got like torn apart in the media after this, but okay, we'll give you another call. That's fine. So um, you guys, you and Samantha B, and, and if you're, you you left The Daily Show, um, and you are now the executive producer of Full Frontal. Um, you guys have a long-standing working relationship together. What what was your idea behind this show? Uh, it kind of, it came together, her and her, and her husband Jason wrote a show, a narrative show for, for TBS network called The Detour, which is currently... Uh, just finishing up its first season, and they're starting up on their second one now. Uh, and after they sort of announced that they were going to pick up the pilot, they said to Sam, hey, you want to do your own late-night show too? I think that TBS, because they were rebranding and starting a whole new kind of network, uh, they just saw her and, and realized what a talent she was and just said, hey, you want to do something? And she said, yeah. And so there was no, there was no, do you want to do a certain kind of show? It was just, come do a show, we'll figure it out. That's kind of how it started. Uh, I don't know if she thought that she was going to do a show like that. I think she was happy just to work with Jason on the show they created. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so this opportunity came came up, and it just seemed like a no-brainer. We're working with people that we, that we really like at TBS, and uh, her, myself, and the other executive producer and head writer, Joe Miller, just came together, and we just banged our heads together and tried to figure out what the show would be. And TBS kept asking us that question for, for weeks and weeks, and it was hard to kind of it's hard to kind of figure out to to sell it to them what it was going to be. We knew it was going to be different. We just didn't we didn't know how. And I think that how is that it's Sam's voice is that it's just a new it's just a new voice, and we haven't seen this voice. And part of it's because she's a woman, sure, but I think part of it's because it's really honest and raw and angry and pointed. And we take stories that are not easily made to be comedy stories, and we find something funny or something hypocritical about them. And that's, I think, in this cycle, especially this, this election cycle, people are clamoring for that sort of rageful opinion that right. maybe they're not getting. And you did the ultimate field piece you, with the Syrian refugees very early on in this season. That was amazing. That was, that was a fantastic trip. It was really a learning experience on how to do a field piece in for our show versus the daily show. That's, that's been a big challenge for us is how to, we'll come up with takes and we'll come up with stories and we're like, you know, it just feels a little bit too much like what we used to do. What's our point of view? What's, you know, how can we spin this differently? What, how do we approach this differently? I needed to see these Syrians up close. So I took a two hour drive to the Syrian border to visit the Jabber Farms refugee camp and ask them, who are you? بالعكس الشعب السوري شعب يعني لا يسعر هذا الشعب شعب بسيط شعب يعني زي ما كإنسان بيلبس بياكل بيشرب بيروح كل الأطفال بيروحوا على المدرسة. You sound very reasonable to me. That alone makes me feel suspicious. 
What are your thoughts on ISIS? I hate ISIS. فإذا بنقضي عليهم إنه لازم نتحد. Do you think that Americans have Syrians wrong? بصراحة ما متابع يعني بشكل عام. You know what? That's for the best. And how is that? What's the main difference? We oftentimes were stripping out a lot of the irony, and 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 the, we started doing that at the Daily Show by the end of my tenure there. Like, just you can't. It's hard to do an entire piece completely ironic. Um, at some point, it's nice to have that the character break and just be really earnest with the subject that you're that you're pretending to be the hero, even though they're the villain. You just it's more cathartic at times just to kind of attack it a little more head on. So it's 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 we're always trying to find different ways to attack an issue head on. So for the the the, the Syrian refugee piece, uh, we weren't exactly sure how to tackle it, and when we got back with the footage, we struggled a bit of how to like contextualize it. It was so interesting, and the people were so great, and it's so not a funny story at all. But what what we didn't Uh, shoot was any opposition voice. We never we never sat down with someone who thought uh, that we shouldn't be taking in more Syrian refugees. Instead, what we did is we kind of collected every this this collective yell from from mostly the right, from the governors and from the presidential candidates who were all saying no more Syrian refugees. We don't need them. It's too much of a risk. And by making that into like a montage, that that helped kind of infer the whole piece. And that was that that's what it needed something to bounce off of. And so. You always still need that opposition voice. You need to know what you're fighting up against to create something um, to make it funny. So that that kind of helped inform what we were going to do. And just the way that we shot it was different. It just felt different. It looked different. And Sam also isn't a fake correspondent. That's that's the other huge difference. Is there's not we're not a new we're not a fake news show. The Daily Show still has that a little bit of the veneer of like it's a fake news show and their correspondence. Sam is just herself. She's not the senior blank corresponding anymore. She's just Samantha B, curious person. She's not making fun of the news or any other outlets or so. She's so you know we lose something in that we don't have we don't have that, those archetypes to make fun of a little bit, but it's also freeing because now we have to create our own fresh original archetypes that that we that we never got to play with before because we're just the people who are out in the field. They're just this. It's just Sam. It's she's no longer a reporter, quote unquote. Right, right. Which is which. It makes it so good because somehow what you're doing is more sort of it's like activism and comedy if you understand what i mean <laughs> um she's actually giving a point of view um and not just irony yeah no absolutely and I, i think we did that at the daily show but we're a little more direct about it right now on full frontal right right and and you were mentioning this incredible fact that samantha b is a woman <laughs> um which has taken a long i mean very few um chelsea handler and a few others um uh, and you made some incredibly funny promos about this sort of explaining how men and others should be watching this incredibly strange thing as a woman so has it been really weird for you to produce a woman is your head like exploding i've worked with sam for so long and i've worked with so many women in the industry that it's not In some ways, it's very familiar, but we are we are uh, you know Joe Miller, the other executive producer. She's a woman. Sam is a woman. We have other women high up. We have more female writers than other shows might have. Um, there are more f- women working just in general in the office than I think a lot of late night shows might have. And I think because of that, a lot of the stories that we're looking at, we're just getting a more diverse group of people together and getting a m- more diverse. S- range of stories and a lot of them might be female centric um which is great 
because nobody's doing them. Nobody's picking up on those stories. And I don't know, the men who are here are certainly feminist, I think. So yeah. it's not like it's hard for the men to, to sort of like readjust their brains. But uh, it, it's been so much fun to do stories that I hadn't heard about. As as opposed to, I think it's some some shows you might you might like. Oh, let's do a story about this is going to be not the case, but let's do a whole thing about football, and then you might have a bunch of people who like me are like nerds and like oh I don't know a ton about football, so maybe in that case you. But now that we have all these women, it's like oh we're going to bring up this story about a tampon tax, and every woman has a comment on it uh, in the room, and that's so fresh and, and amazing to be like, oh, here's a story that I had never thought about as a man, and I can now get angry about it with you and join you and write a story about it. That's great, because and in all this diversity, I understand that you have a blind submission process for new writers. How, how does that work? Well, that's, it. you know, The Daily Show had that too, uh, so we're, we're not, we're not unique in that. I think what we did, where we were unique is we really went out of our way to like shake shake the trees and find people who normally wouldn't be in this world to find people who just weren't in the late night world uh and that included really reaching out to to groups of of other women writers and filmmaking collectives and just going to 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 weird places to find people who don't who didn't come from late night at all um and a lot of those places included uh people of color and women and just all sorts of really different perspectives and backgrounds and then uh, once we found those people, they, we just asked them to submit, and somebody was sort of make, taking, off, taking off the names off of all the packets, and we'd make our selections that way, and then we'd discover who we had later. Without knowing anything about who yeah. the person was behind. That's very Absolutely. cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, you can tell. I mean, you guys are doing a great job with that, so I hope, that, I hope this starts more of a trend. We need more women in all positions, of course. And here. we and look, we still have a long way to go too. Like we 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 still want to be more diverse. The, and it's not like it's not diversity for diversity's sake. What we've seen and what's really been fun for me is to watch all these different perspectives come together and and pitch different stories and stories we've never would have heard before. And in my department, I have this really nice just even though we're very small in the field department, I have a Palestinian woman field uh, documentarian. And she's bringing yeah. me stories. I wouldn't. She helped us produce the Syrian story. Um, you know, I have a, a a guy who's a feature filmmaker, so he tells things very narratively. Uh, we have we just have this really really wide range of talent, which has been a lot of fun. And it, you just get different stories. The diversity gives you better material. Right. You guys are really doing some of the best election coverage out there. I have to say. Um, how do you guys approach covering this election? Well, we're not. We're not tied as much to the 24-hour news cycle as The Daily Show or The Nightly Show or some of the late-night shows. So that, that frees us up for having to comment on, uh, you know, Trump said this one crazy thing today. We don't have to do that coverage. We might, we might tackle some of that in, on our digital side. We might do a tweet about a moment that happened during the day. But what that does for the show show is we're able to look at more broader themes, general themes – and and kind of because it's only one show a week, we can really focus all our energies on sort of a bigger fish. And that I think that's why it's a little bit different and it's been a little bit more fun for us, especially coming from the daily show, which becomes it's a different challenge. It becomes a different kind of grind where you're every day you're trying to find that story. So so what would a bigger fish be? I think what we like to do is we like to do one somewhat topical story. So this past week we talked about the feuding between the Hillary and Bernie camps. 
and that seemed like you know that was all based off of the the recent Nevada election. Uh, and that story, you know, it went for the past week or so. It was it was relevant for the past week or so. So that was it was a it was a relevant story, but it wasn't just day of and then it's gone after 24 hours. And then we also like to do a deeper dive story that you may not see anywhere. And we did. Uh, this is a continuing series we're doing on the, the the rise of the religious right. And we did a whole thing, a really wonderful piece on the second act about the, the how the religious right chose abortion as their marquee issue and so that's the, no one no one is doing those kinds of stories and so much of that comes from joe miller joe is our head writer executive producer and and former historian so she she's so smart and so invested into kind of uncovering these interesting historical things that people don't know about i didn't know about any of this and i think our audience is is really really enjoying learning this stuff with us well, how would you say comedy is in the age of trump how is comedy in the age of Trump? In in some ways, it makes things easier. In some ways, it makes things harder because there's so many people doing political comedy that you have to make your joke original. We can't all do the same. Trump's hair is ridiculous joke. Like that's you're constantly being pushed to find the new thing that's ridiculous about Trump. And I, you know, look, it is a gift. I'm not going to. If we thought it was going to be a pretty boring election, we thought it was going to be Hillary just you know running running to the election, and and now she has. She has a real race on her hands. It's 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 a totally different story. The Democratic convention is going to be a mess. The Republican convention is going to be a mess, and uh, everyone in late night comedy gets to benefit from it. I guess. Mm -hmm. I guess what I'm thinking is I'm thinking sort of SNL. I remember when when they had Trump as a guest, and this is not going to be a big deal. He won't be running for long, and then he's really a major player and could be president. And it seems like it's like, oh no, we can't invite him. I mean, it's it just something happened there, where I realized that this guy. There's certain things here in this election that are pretty scary, and and maybe we can't make fun of them in that sense. Um, I thought they took. It was an interesting risk that they took to have him on the show. Uh, because they had him on and they, they, it was like they couldn't make fun of him. Right. And that, I right. thought was so weird. Uh, it, you know, it makes him, it makes him in on the joke. And, and that's, I didn't love that. Uh, he's not going to come on our show, so we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> if he would win, do you think that would change sort of the landscape of what you guys are doing? No, you know, I, I've heard people talk about this kind of idea before when Obama, got elected, everyone said, well, what's The Daily Show going to do now? And it's like we did great shows after that, just because there's a guy who at the time it was hard to hit him because he was this inspirational figure and even Republicans were liked him for at least six or seven weeks after that. He ran amazing campaigns. He ran an amazing campaign. He was very, he was an inspirational figure and everyone said, well, The Daily Show screwed. They don't have George W. Bush anymore. <laughs> Watch our shows. We went after Obama. We went after the left. We went after the right. There's always, to quote John Stewart, there's always a mountain of bullshit that you can tackle. So whether Trump is president or Hillary is president or Kerry Johnson is president or Bernie Sanders is president, whoever it is, like there will be plenty of bullshit to call out. I'm not really worried about it. Doing this kind of work that you've done um, for the past decade or so, does it has it affected your own personal politics? A little bit. I, I I came into the Daily Show uh, certainly uh, certainly a little leftist and but but a little non political. I really didn't read the news a ton. I came from filmmaking and 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 storytelling, 
and I had to sort of learn the news and, and read and, and get involved. I was never an activist that much. And I'm certainly that I know what like every congressman's name is just by looking at them. is kind of scary, but <laughs> now that I, now that I'm into it, I, even when I, I left the daily show uh, and I had uh, a period before I was working here, I, I couldn't get away from it. I wanted to know about the news. I wanted to know what was happening. I was so interested in it. I don't know if that's just me or if that's because the news has been pushed to entertainment. You know, I think there's, it's, it's a little, little bit of both. Uh, as far as my own personal view, I'm more willing to question. I I like to question. I like to find primary sources for news. I don't like to believe anything I read, uh, and I like to watch. I like to read and watch a lot of conservative viewpoint stuff because I want to understand the things that I don't think that I believe in and see if there's any truth in it. So I I try to be a lot more fair than maybe I would have been you know, when I was younger. I I don't want to be reflexively just liberal. I really do want to look at the other side um, for most for many issues. If it comes to something like gay rights, I have a really hard time <laughs> like listening to any argument against gay people having human rights. But for but for like policies about economics and how the country should run and how taxes should work, I I'm very open to yes, yeah, small government actually sounds like a good idea. I may be a little bit more centrist or conservative in some of my views on the economy. What what bugs me is that it seems like in the age where you go on Facebook and your friends are either really angry and pro-Hillary or angry and pro-Trump and angry or pro-Sanders, it's like I feel like the majority of the country is kind of moderate and in the middle somewhere. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're that polarized and I think the people who have the microphone and who write the articles and are on television, they have polarized us. They get the attention and we, we're under this impression that the country is divided and we're just not – but moderate news doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't get eyeballs. So I think I'm, I'm, I've, I've always remained very socially liberal, but I, I always have to read and check and research because I just don't believe anything I see anymore. What has it taught you about the United States? The work you've done, the, all the people you've met and the voices you've heard and Everyone is really disillusioned by politicians, and I'm I'm in that same boat, but maybe from a different perspective. In, in which I've really, I read about them, and I read what they pass, and I read what they do, and I've talked to a, a bunch of them, and I I think they're morons, but I feel like <laughs> I feel like that's worse. I was like, I don't. I was like, you just were like, well, all those people who say the politicians are all morons, they don't know politicians. I'm like, no, I kind of feel like I do know politicians. And it angers me that I still I have a hard time giving them credit for what they do. And you got people like Barack Obama who are young and idealistic, and they go into government and they want to make a difference, and uh, and they go through the machine, and the machine just it tears them apart. It makes them into different people. It makes them into bad politicians. It, you know, like I think Obama really, really wanted to be a great president, and I think he'll, he may. I think he'll still go down as a pretty good president. But I think the system just destroyed him. He destroyed his soul right. somewhere in there. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's really pessimistic yeah. and bleak. <laughs> um, but talking about the, the end of um, how many shows do you have left um, in this season now, Full Frontal? We're, we're going through January. We have 39 shows from our first show. So I don't know how many more we have left, but we're on show 14 right now. So you're going all through the election. Um, would you would you wager a prediction for the election? Uh, I've been wrong this whole time, 
And while I'm like, I kind of feel like, well, the nation will wake up and they'll, they'll vote for the, like the reasonable sane person who will keep things relatively afloat. And that would probably be Hillary. Uh, because I've been wrong though, I, 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 I'm betting on Trump. I think Trump will win. Oh, you do. I, yeah. Well, here, here, here's the thing. He beat, he beat like 17 people really, really easily. (laughs) She's having trouble beating one like 70 year old socialist from Vermont. I, and it worries me that she can't beat this guy. If she can't beat this guy, then how is she going to beat Trump? Right. And, and if this happens, what do you think that, that week's show how how will the tone be for that week's show um, when Trump is president? Would be uh, how will the tone be if he wins? Ah, oh, God, I don't know. I think it's it's like half celebration, half mourning. I guess celebration for comedy and oh yeah, I know yeah, sure yeah, it'll be great for us. It's just bad for the rest of America. It's good for the very small percentage of people who work in late night. Right, really, really, really risky for the rest of the American populace. I don't, look, who knows? Maybe he ends up being the best president we've ever had, and I'm I'm wrong, and this interview comes back to haunt me, so I have to say that. Who knows? <laughs> Miles, this was so much fun. Thank you. I took even more of your time than I was supposed to, but this was so interesting, and you guys are doing such an amazing show. Um, and even over here where we we catch it on, on you know, YouTube and, and the clips, I mean, we watch it religiously. Well, I certainly appreciate you guys watching it, and uh, thanks so much. I had a great time. Thank you so much to Miles Khan. Don't miss the amazing work they're doing over on Full Frontal with Samantha B. Follow Pop Culture Confidential on Twitter at PodPopCulture and the webpage PopCultureConfidential.com. And if you enjoy it, please remember to spread the word. You can find us on iTunes, Acast, and Tevedux. The show was edited by Tom Hansen, music by Carl Bori, produced by René Wittestedt and myself. I'm Christina Jörling-Biro. Thanks so much for listening. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.